If you like ugly football, and who doesn't, this was the week for you. Virginia Tech and UVA both offered up a lot of unwatchable play and then topped things off with heartbreaking losses. All that and betting tips from Mike Svetitz of Front Page Bets, this week on Teal and Barbie. Welcome to episode 95 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, good afternoon, my friend. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you and yours and all of our listeners who celebrate, which I guess is a thing we have to say now. I I got an email uh, from my daughter's school reminding us not to send the kids to to elementary school dressed in their costumes and then wishing a happy Halloween to all those who celebrate. So uh, (laughs) we'll use the same PC lingo here and say uh, happy Halloween to all the listeners who celebrate. David, what does celebrating Halloween look like in the Teal household this year? Well, this year, <clears throat> Laura will have tonight will be her third consecutive trick or treat event. It'll be here in the neighborhood. Uh, last night was at church, and Saturday afternoon slash evening was over at Christopher Newport University, where my uh, wife works in the admissions office. Very nice. So, plenty of candy right now in the Teal household. Enough. Last year's stash is st- the remnants of are still around. So after three consecutive nights, I'm imagining that we are going to have enough candy to again last the calendar year. It sounds like you should have not bought any candy to give out and just turn around and, and recycle all of that. She, she's too old and smart. For yeah, that. that's that's fair. She'll know it's gone. Oh, she'd be on to us, Mike, in a minute. Now, was it three different costumes? One costume that she no. she's in love with. What, what, what do we have? Yeah, j- j- just one. Uh, she <clears throat> she likes the zombies movies. Yeah. So she dressed as a zombies cheerleader. If, if you haven't seen the zombies movies, my my daughter's also in love with them. I think they're terrible for starters. <laughs> but I always tell my wife, I said, "Man, that looks like it would be a ton of fun to make those movies." Right. It, it just really feels like it it's probably doesn't sound great, but like high school theater, like the the sets, the costumes, the overacting, the songs, uh, the musical numbers. It looked like it would be a ton of fun uh, to make those movies, which uh, so if they're looking to cast a sports writer in Zombies 4, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm your guy. It looks like a lot of fun to be a part of that. You know, we we sent Evan, my three year old, to uh, uh, school today, preschool, and they asked for volunteers to come in and, and help. They had a trick or treating event for the kids there, so we, you know, wore our costumes as grownups. And I wore one of those inflatable T Rex costumes, the giant. Bless your heart. And David, it was it was one of the sweetest things you've ever seen. But you had about a third of the kids who were just so excited. There's a dinosaur here, and they came running over, and they wanted hugs and fist bumps and high fives and get their picture taken. Then there was about a third of the kids who were terrified, including a couple who were in tears, which was kind of my concern uh, initially. And then there was a third that I think was my favorite that came out, and with all the decorations we had put up and all the candy, and my wife was working a sticker station, and they just froze and stood at, stared at me 
in that dinosaur suit, nice. like unsure of what to make of it. And then when their teacher said kind of time's up, time to head back in, then they kind of ran over and wanted to quick get a hug or a, a handshake, but they needed the full, you know, 20 minutes or so to, to size me up and decide what to make of either. They were worried about this giant T-Rex or this weird guy wearing a rubber T-Rex suit. I, I don't know which, <laughs> which was their thinking, but, uh, Always fun and always fun to see the kids in costumes. We actually, we put Evan in a, um, a wolf costume for school. He's Spider-Man for our main Halloween, but we didn't trust him to to come home with that costume clean. Ah. <laughs> so we, we went with two costumes. So Lies. that Yeah, so that he, and, and which is funny because he left for school this morning. And as we were going to get in the car, I noticed his legs were covered already in chocolate from his chocolate chip pancakes. So that was that was how we eased into Halloween with chocolate chip pancakes. Uh, and then my my daughter, who's eight, uh, she's a creeper from Minecraft, which uh, I have not played Minecraft. I don't know exactly what's going on, but she loves it. Uh, and she's going to be a creeper from Minecraft. And like I said in, in the earlier portion here, they, they advised us not to let the kids wear their costumes to school. So she'll be getting decked out when she gets home. And hopefully the rain holds off here in Charlottesville so we can get these kids out tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, Minecraft is big in our household as well. Well, we'll have to hook them up because they play online. Yes. So it's a rainy day. My daughter will play with other kids in the neighborhood mm-hmm. who are at their houses. And um, maybe we can get our kids together in the, in the Minecraft world. I, I think she's pretty good at it. Again, I don't know the point of the game. The, the very first time she played it, she had built a house and there was no door or window so she couldn't get out. And I, I thought this is an odd, an odd game. I, I will stick to... Uh, I'm not a big video game guy in general, but I played the sports games when I was younger. So, uh, but maybe maybe that's in our future here a uh, a Minecraft uh, inter uh, inter household game. There you go. Now, speaking of scary and things that uh, don't, don't, <laughs> might frighten might frighten small children, <laughs> uh, we saw a couple of football games this week, David, that were uh, doozies, and that's putting it putting it nicely. Let's start in Raleigh Thursday night. You were there for. Uh, maybe one of the the worst halves of football, <laughs> certainly from an offensive standpoint. Uh, I imagine that you've seen in a while. Uh, just take us through three nothing at the half. What what was going on there between Virginia Tech and NC State? Very little. <laughs> Very little, Mike. You have to work at it, and I mean really work at it to have seven false starts in a half. But that's what the Hokies did Thursday night in Raleigh. Ended up with 10 for the game, which is bad enough, but seven in the first half. I mean, it was it was beyond grim. And two of them, by the way, occurred on punts, <laughs> which and and not along the line. It was on the outskirts, you know, on the flanks. And uh, you know, of the ten total, each of the five offensive linemen had at least one. Silas Jansey, the most experienced of the bunch, had two. And, you know, until the third quarter, it was as bad an offensive performance as you could imagine. They only snapped it 19 times yeah. in the first half because all it did was go three and out. No, was it? I mean, I, I've been there for games and, and the crowd's no, fine. It was not. So we I know can't, where we, you're going. So we can't give them an out here. It wasn't a raucous crowd no. that was so deafening that you couldn't snap. No, no, huh? Okay, I tried. I tried to give him a no. tried to give him a break. Right. Brent, Brent Price said afterward, "Oh, it, it was loud down there. Come on, it was not that loud." And you know, but but he did say 
we can't be doing this. It's a total lack of discipline. It starts with me. We've got to figure it out. But Mike, you know, this is in Virginia Tech ended ended the night with thirteen penalties. Mm. They had fifteen in two previous games this season. They have seventy penalties on the year in eight games. They had seventy penalties in thirteen games last season. It's not good. No, it, it's it reminds. A it reminds me of uh, when I covered Terry Shea at Rutgers, and uh, he, he was in the middle of a winless season, and he said, you know what, we're going to do something better than everybody in the Big East, even if it's push-ups. We're going to do something better. And so maybe Virginia Tech figures they're going to lead the ACC in penalties. It'll give them something to hang their hat on. David, something to hang their hat on, though, defensively in the first half, didn't give up, but the field goal at, at the end there, were you encouraged with what you saw defensively? I was encouraged by what I saw <clears throat> defensively until the end. Yeah. You know, when they coughed up an 18-point lead. Because as bad as the Hokies were in the opening two quarters on offense, they were that good in the third quarter, which was just a, a big tease. You know, they 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 go they they scored three touchdowns. The the third came early in, in the fourth quarter, I believe, after they'd switched switched ends. But they gained 250 yards, 250 some yards in the third quarter alone, but yet still had fewer than 300 for the game. That's that's about as mind bending as it gets. And there they are with a 21-3 lead, and you're thinking they're about a stop away from sealing this thing because the defense was playing well. And Monsoor Delane, who's been a revelation as a true freshman at corner. It was his first start. He ends up leading the team in tackles with 10. But then NC State kind of picked at him a little bit. And MJ Morris, another true freshman who was seeing his first extensive action, (coughs) excuse me, of the season, he got comfortable. Once again, Virginia's pass, Virginia Tech's pass rush bordered on non-existent. And next thing you know, he's thrown for more than 200 yards and three touchdowns and NC State wins the game 22-21. All right. Well, you skipped ahead to the painful ending, but let's go back, and, and it, it's been such a <laughs> grim year. Let's focus a little more on that stretch of about nine minutes in the third quarter where they scored three touchdowns. You get the Grant Wells four-yard run. You get the 85-yard pass mm-hmm. from Wells to Caleb Smith, and then with four minutes to go in the third quarter, you get the Grant Wells 20-yard touchdown run before the wheels come back off. Were, what did you see from that offense when it came to life and is there anything there sustainable? History would tell us no yeah. in terms of sustainable, but yeah, they, they took their deep shots to Caleb Smith, not only the 85-yarder, but they had a, a 50-yarder that was, in essence, a 50-50 ball that, that he came down with. A 36-yard catch and run with Daquan Wright, who's been another bright spot as, as a true freshman. I mean, he's listed as a tight end, but much like James Mick Mitchell and Bucky Hodge before him, they they line him up all over and use him a lot in the slot and that wide. He's, he's, he's versatile that way, and he can really run once he catches the ball. And then uh, Malachi Thomas made a great diving catch out of the backfield for 20-some yards, but then never saw the field again because he got dinged up on the play. And we don't know uh, – 
the extent of his injuries we'll find out later in the week. But if you're a Virginia Tech fan, yes, you would hope that it's sustainable, but they have shown no consistency. Mike, they've played six Power Five opponents, and they have cracked 300 yards one time in six games. (laughs) It's brutal. It's brutal. Now, you you already mentioned how things ended, which I think by the time people are tuning in here, they probably know how things ended in this one. But uh, NC State does score the, the, the three state three straight touchdowns there at the end to, to win the game. It's not the first time we've seen this defense play a pretty darn good game and not be able to finish it off. Yep, Old Dominion. Correct. It's not the first time we've seen Brent Pry maybe struggle with the dual hats of calling the defense managing the clock for the entire team. Uh, What do you make of this team in late game situations, in fourth quarters of tight games, and is there anything there that you think needs to change? Well, fourth quarters of tight games, they're not good. (laughs) And it's just plain and simple. They're not good, period. But I think those flaws are magnified late in games. You know, they, they torched two of their timeouts before late game situation. One... On a on a play where Pry was afraid they were going to get a delay, they were on their own nine, and he didn't want to give up. I guess it would have been half the distance to the goal, so four and a half yards. He didn't want to lose four and a half yards there, and then he he used another timeout prior to an NC State two point conversion when he wanted to make sure he had the proper defense in, and sure enough, they stopped that on a pass breakup. And I believe it was Connor, but I'm I'm not sure on the on the breakup there. Might have might have my recall might not be exact. But at the end, they only have one timeout with which to stop the clock as NC State's trying to essentially run it out. Now the cynic in me says they weren't gonna stop NC State anyway. <laughs> Probably right. But you still would have liked to have had at least another timeout uh, in in your pocket. And you ask what needs to change, and eventually, and Brent Pry has been asked about this before, eventually he is going to have to relinquish his play-calling duties on the defensive side. He was a very good defensive coordinator at Penn State. That's his wheelhouse. It's what he knows. But I just have to believe that, because of everything he's trying to juggle, that at times the sheer mass of responsibilities causes him to get distracted. And that, I believe, impacts things such as game management. Makes makes perfect sense. And, and I get why people who come from a background as a play caller you know, want to hold on to it at first. But it seems to me, mm-hmm. in, in some ways, David, at first is the worst time to do it. Like right. I, I think Nick Saban's to a point where if he wanted to call the defense, he's probably been around enough, has enough experience with clock management that he could do it. But for a guy who's never been a head coach and never had to done all that, do all the clock management stuff, also to be calling. That, I mean, again, it's generally what we see in, in college football. A coach who is was a coordinator, they keep that play calling for a bit before they finally relinquish it. It, it makes a lot more sense, in my opinion, to go the other way. Get comfortable with everything you have to do. And then if you have an issue on one side of the ball, step in maybe. And, and But obviously that, that hasn't been the case. Well, here's the good news for Virginia Tech fans. Georgia Tech comes to town. <laughs> and there were many years, David, when Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, often on a Thursday night, yeah. was a game that would determine the Coastal. 
it's not the case this year. <laughs> it isn't going to determine much of anything. Uh, how bad are things going for Georgia Tech? They're a three-and-a-half-point underdog, as we'll get into here in a bit with Mike Svetitz, uh, going to Blacksburg. So um, Virginia Tech, after everything we just said about them, uh, are, are more than a field goal favorite this weekend. Uh, what do you make of this matchup? Mike, you said how bad are things for Georgia Tech? They're a three-and-a-half-point underdog. How bad are things for the Hokies when they're only favored over a Georgia Tech team by three-and-a-half that they're playing at home and that last week gave up more than 600 yards to Florida State? Right. Vegas is warning us not to watch this game. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely they are. Um, It may be, when you look at the schedule of – Virginia Tech's four remaining games, given that it's at home, given the opponent, it's probably their best chance to win another game. Yeah, I think that's Don't fair. You think? I think that's fair. I, I mean, I, we watch a lot of Virginia, and they're very bad. And I think that's a toss-up at this point. But yeah, I, I like Virginia a little more, <laughs> uh, I guess, than I do Georgia Tech against the Hokies. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And then and, they have, you know, they, then they have the, the road games against Duke and Liberty, number twenty-three oh. Liberty. By the way, uh, I imagine you had them in the top twenty-five. I, on, I did on your ballot as well. I had him on the ballot, and, and I keep thinking about the fact that before the season and when these contracts were signed, I thought it was awesome that Virginia Tech had Liberty on their schedule, and that UVA had Coastal. They, they, they were playing good Group of Five teams lately, like games that have some gravitas, right? We'd seen the Texas Abilene Christian, whatever the game where Charles Snowden got hurt. Like we'd seen mm-hmm. so many garbage games thrown into that. I was excited. And now seeing the way Virginia and Virginia Tech are playing, boy, they would love to have a Texas Abilene Christian, whatever that, that game was, uh, instead of Liberty and Coastal. Um, yeah, that that's going to be quite a scene in, in Lynchburg for that one, uh, what that's going to mean to, to that program. And um, no, I think you're right. I think Georgia Tech is your, your best shot. And I think it's one where if you get it and you play well, maybe some of those other games down the stretch yeah. feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But it's one where if you can't get it, Ooh. right? You, now it's just like, uh, when are we going to? When are we going to get one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a tipping point. And, and, and again, it, it's not a tipping point in terms of they're not making the, the college football playoff and they're probably not going bowling or any of those things. But um, there, there's a chance for the season to get ugly, I think, if they can't find a way to get Georgia Tech. Yeah, it could. You know, they're, all, they're, they're two and six. They've dropped five in a row for the first time since 1992. And, you know, to go, to go two and seven, if, if you're two and seven, you're very well – could be staring at two and ten, three and nine. Yeah, shows you what I know because I, I had Virginia Tech and Virginia both five and six going into that regular season finale. And David, let's transition over to Virginia. Hey, you, 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 you could still be right, Mike. It, it, that would be the all-time backdoor cover right now. <laughs> I, I, I have no confidence in either team of getting to five and six going into that game. Virginia, I would have felt better if they could have pulled things out Saturday. It was certainly anybody's game for the taking against Miami. Uh, Neither offense showed up. They were both atrocious. Like the game you saw in Raleigh, this game 3-0 at the half, Miami with with the field goal to take the lead. Ultimately, spoiler alert if you you didn't watch, and and hopefully for your sake you didn't watch, uh, Virginia loses this one 14-12 in four overtimes. They go to the format where it's two-point conversions only. Uh, 14-12, Virginia loses. Neither team scores a touchdown. David, (laughs) if it wasn't for Thursday night, 
um, you certainly got your fill of bad football Saturday. Yeah, it just seemed to follow me last week. Sure did. Thanks I don't for know. bringing that. Yeah, I kind of felt responsible, like some bad mojo. But it, it was, I mean, my, neither team scored a touchdown. And the only, te- the only time that either team crossed the goal line was on Jake Garcia's winning two-point conversion from three yards away. Uh, it was... Yeah, I, I think the uh, the epitome of, of the game, especially from the Virginia standpoint, was after they had stopped Miami's two-point conversion to open the third overtime. They are then three yards away from winning the game. And they run some motion, as Des Kitchings explained to us after the game. They're trying to get Miami to tip. Are you... Are they playing zone? Are they playing man-to-man? That's what the motion is designed to do. And they don't snap the ball on on the agreed count. And the whole offense essentially false starts. And all you know, now you're eight yards away. And you're trying to fade to Dontavian Wicks in the right corner of the end zone. And he almost came down with it, but he didn't. And then you lose in four overtimes. Just I mean, yeah, in a nutshell. That's kind of the day, making things harder for yourselves than it needs to be. And what's crazy about that game and frustrating if you're a Virginia fan, and this is what I wrote about my column after, so many missed opportunities. And mm-hmm. David, it started with the very first offensive snap for them. Uh, Brendan Armstrong drops back to play action pass. He's got Dontavian Wicks wide open over the top, kind of running a deep post. It's an 82-yard touchdown, no doubt about it. And Armstrong just overthrows him. And, and I asked Brendan about it after the game, and he said, I misread the safety. I, I didn't want to put too much air under it because yep. I thought there was a safety that could come over. So I tried to put it on a line drive to get it to him, and it was a mistake, and I overshot him. And then what's crazy about that is not late, much later in the game, he's got a similar deep ball to Lavelle Davis, and he says, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I'm going to give him a chance to catch this ball. I'm going to put some air under it. And he does kind of overthrows it, underthrows it. Davis is able to adjust to make the catch. Can't keep his feet. Comes down. Again, these are possessions. Now you're you're in the red zone, deep in the red zone, and they don't, they don't cash in, right? They also had Mike Hollins, a 64-yard catch and run up the sideline. He steps out at the, the, the one or the three. They don't end up cashing in there. And they're having to settle for field goals or being stopped. They have Grant Mish drop a touchdown pass in the end zone. So you count up all the missed opportunities and you say to yourself, well, geez, Virginia could have won this game, you know, 28 to 10. Well, they could have, but once again, David, they didn't. Yeah, Mike, as as much as we have banged on the coaches, especially Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings, for not being flexible enough with Brennan Armstrong and, and this group of receivers and kind of molding their envisioned offense to fit the player's skill set. It's all not on the coaches. It's not on them that Grant Mish can't catch that ball in the end zone or that Ty Furnish doesn't snap the ball on the, the proper count down there on, on a two-point conversion or that Brennan doesn't throw a, per- a perfect ball to either Wicks or, or Davis on, on the deep routes. So it, it has been a, a team effort. <laughs> and, 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 and Mike, I, I went back and looked at this. 
As, as you well know, and as we, we both wrote uh, Saturday, Virginia has not scored 20 points against a Power 5 opponent this year, right? I think they scored 20 once, 20. right? Have not they scored haven't scored more, more than, yep. More than 20. Four times last year against Power 5 opponents, if you... I consider BYU a Power 5 opponent. Virginia scored 21 or more in a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> in a quarter. They scored 35 in a quarter against BYU on the road last year. And yet they haven't cracked you know 21 against a P5 this season. It's you, you knew the offensive line had issues. You knew they probably weren't going to score 35 a game like they did last season. But no one, no one, not even the most diehard Virginia Tech hokey could have imagined this offense being this unproductive. Yeah, there, there are games other than the Richmond game when they scored 34. They scored three at Illinois. They scored 16 in a victory against ODU, 20 in a loss at Syracuse, 17 in a loss at Duke, 17 home loss to Louisville, 16 in that horrifically ugly, although now forgotten, game at Georgia Tech, and then obviously uh, 12 all on field goals in this one against Miami. Uh, you, know, you mentioned banging on the coaches. You mentioned players not making plays. What can be done? Right. I mean, if, if if a player as good as Brandon Armstrong isn't making throws and Dontavian Wicks isn't coming down uh, with, with balls that last year he came down with and uh, Lavelle Davis isn't making great plays, he's, he's getting the catch, but then going down. What can be done or is this what we've got for the rest of the year? I think this is they've got to ride with it and just keep trying to, to bring it all together on some magical Saturday. You know, is it is it this week against North Carolina? You know, the Tar Heels are playing awfully well. And I was really impressed with them Saturday night. They're down 10 at home to Pittsburgh and then just close on a 28 nothing binge. I mean, Drake May is just, wow. I mean, Jameis Winston is the gold standard of freshman quarterbacks in the ACC. He was a redshirt freshman. He won the Heisman, and his team went undefeated and won the national championship. <laughs> you can't get any better than that. But Drake May's having a hell of a redshirt freshman year. No, he really is. And, and and you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but th- that was the position of, of doubt at Carolina, right? You had so many teams bringing back their quarterbacks this year, high expectations. Uh, and Carolina, there was – well, who's going to play quarterback? Who's going to win the competition? How are they going to fare? Um, and he has answered all of those questions in a positive way. Now, Carolina's defense has not been phenomenal. Um, certainly was good enough in this past one. Uh, now they're going to be without Noah Taylor, the UVA transfer, the outside linebacker, edge rusher. He suffered a season-ending knee injury. He's their leader in sacks to this point, um, a disruptive player, as we well know, coming off the edge. Uh, I think I thought Miami was the game where Brendan Armstrong and company kind of broke out and got going. But are there any reasons for hope that the Tar Heels could be the opponent that, that this offense puts it together finally against? Well, I would say yes. Tyler Van Dyke threw for 496 against Carolina. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Tyler Van Dyke can do it. Certainly Brennan Armstrong can, maybe not to, to that degree, but um, I think that's their their primary hope. And, you know, for, for a while there, the other night, Keaton Slovis was having his way mm-hmm. against Carolina's pass defense. So <clears throat> to me, Virginia's just got to 
keep going back to that well, especially Saturday. Well, Vegas expects it to be a, a high-scoring game. They set an over-under just under 60, and uh, we'll bring in a guest now to, to kind of break that down. Well, we're joined now by Mike Sveditz, General Manager of Front Page Bets. Mike joins us each week to give us a little insight here into the college sports betting world. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you, bud? Excellent. So I want to start by asking it. It's not a game, but Hendon Hooker, the former Virginia Tech quarterback, now the star at Tennessee, he's now even money as the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, that's over C.J. Stroud and um, you know other big names kind of coming into the year that, that were more hyped for the Heisman. Uh, what do you make of the Heisman race and, and Hooker's place in it? Well, you know, I mean, coming into the season, I think he was over plus 5,000. You know, his... Hendon wasn't even on the, you know, in the top five, top 10 um, coming in, even though he had a great year last year coming in at Tennessee and, 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 and getting going toward the end of the season. Um, and now, you know, overtaking CJ Stroud, who was from the beginning of the season, even in the preseason was out on favorite just above Bryce Young at Alabama. And, and to see Hendon Hooker's kind of trajectory up the odds boards um, and what he's done week in and week out. I mean, this guy, he's gone from, you know, plus 5,000 now at, at DraftKings this morning, he was minus 110. So better, better than even money. Um, and CJ Stroud was plus 190. Uh, and, and you look at what Hendon Hooker's done. Um, you know, they beat Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee beats Kentucky and Rocky Top. This guy's only thrown one interception the entire year. He's, he's tied for 12th in touchdown passes at 21, and he's ranked second in the country in quarterback rating at 92.91.2. And against top 25 opponents, he's even better. I mean, this guy has has just demolished. I wouldn't say demolished Alabama, but scored 52 points on him, <laughs> and you know, and has has had 14 touchdown passes against top 25 ranked opponents and over 1,500 yards passing. And he's rushing for 274 yards against those top 25 teams. And 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 in case you haven't heard, the SEC is no joke, and the SEC East, especially, it's all coming down to this weekend between the hedges and Athens uh, versus number one, Georgia, which will do a, which will go a long way to determining if Hennon Hooker can lift that trophy in December in New York. Yeah. You, you mentioned his performance in big games. And for me as a voter, that's one of the things that, that I really look into, right? When I go back to finally cast my ballot, I want to know, you know, how, if you're at Alabama, how did you play in, in your biggest games? If you're at Tennessee, how did you, and in the SEC, you get a lot of them, but I think you're right. It is, is this game against Georgia a make or break? And what I mean is maybe more of a break. In other words, if he has a great game, obviously that, that right. catapults him more. I think if he has a good game, that's fine. If he has a disastrous game, that's a stage where it can really drop him back down those boards, right? There's no question. And if you look at C.J. Stroud, who's right behind him and kind of was the front runner all year. And Mike, you know this. I was a Heisman voter for 10 years. You're a Heisman voter. You know, we try to do 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 it justice. But there's a lot of people who just look at the stats, look at how they played in big games, look at, you know, kind of what they see on TV. So you've got C.J. Stroud and Ohio State playing Northwestern. Northwestern is one in seven. You've got Hendon Hooker. And the reason I think Hendon Hooker is catapulted up the boards is because CJ Stroud's had pedestrian games of 350 yards and one or two touchdowns, just like they beat number 13 Penn state and CJ Stroud goes backwards. All he did was throw for 354 yards and a touch and let him in the second half. And so you've got to every week, week in and week out, put up these gaudy numbers. Just look at Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is throwing for over 400 yards and five touchdowns against Arizona. And he's still way back in the pack. So it's not really the stats. It's the stats coupled by who you beat and 
than what the other guy does. And so Hennon Hooker has a chance to really go up. It, it, it's almost like, you know, if he has, even if he against this defense too, even if he, let's say he goes 250 and two touches or something like that, that's still pretty daggum good. But if he has a disastrous game, like you said, and CJ Stroud goes out and throws 17,000 touchdowns against Northwestern, which he could, <laughs> now you've got a whole different ball game and you could see, you could see it flop next week. But, you know, this is hookers right now to take if he goes out and, and beats Georgia or at least has a good game in the stats against Georgia. Got to wonder what, what tech fans are, are, are thinking there. Uh, having a, a Heisman Trophy winner who goes off to do it for another team. All right, let's yeah. let's stick with those Hokies for a second here, Mike. And uh, Virginia Tech hosts Georgia Tech. This is a battle of two lousy football teams. I, I don't think I'm breaking any news on the podcast to say that uh, neither of these teams are particularly good. The Hokies are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. The over-under I'm looking at is 41-and-a-half. What do you make of this one? Take the under and take the Hokies. You know, I what happened on Thursday night against North Carolina state, they got out, you know, scored 21 points in the third quarter. And, you know, everybody's like, okay, this is, we see some potential. And then, um, you know, it's been well documented what, what happened there at the end with a freshman quarterback at NC state, but I would take the under a hundred percent. And for the first time, I believe since the ODU game tech is a favorite, which is, just goes to show you speaks a lot about Georgia Tech doesn't it exactly we saw how that game ended against Virginia two weeks ago so I can feel confident saying pound the under here and I think you're okay if you take Tech at home against the rambling wreck now another pick I think you feel pretty confident about uh, North Carolina I'm showing as a nine and a half point favorite at Virginia now I know Carolina hasn't been great at Scott Stadium but Virginia hasn't been great anywhere this year. So what, what do you make of this one? And an over-under of 59 and a half, which maybe feels a little disrespectful considering how well Virginia's defense at least has been playing. Well, I mean, if you were just telling me, you know, I would say, you know, North Carolina might score 59 and a half by themselves, you know, and I think <laughs> Virginia has looked, I don't even know if they've looked this good in walkthroughs. So they're, they're UNC's 4-0 away from home. They're 5-3 and against the spread. Um, they've hit the over five times. I don't know. I, I would stay under this game here just because Virginia Tech has has played better. I don't see Virginia scoring a lot of points against that Gene Chizik defense, but I do think that uh, the, the the Tar Heels win and cover. Um, but I'd stay with the under here. Uh, you know, North Carolina is playing well, and Virginia. We've we. I mean, you know, the way they lost to Miami. You know, you and I. I, I was reading, following along with you and 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 Teal, and I felt bad for you guys being in there. Kind of reminded me a little bit of the Mississippi State Auburn game I covered back in the day when it was three to two. But at least you guys got <laughs> overtime out of that. I got out of there quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you got to see Mariano Rivera come out and close that one out, right? That's true. That's, That's very true. That's how that works. All right, Mike, before we let you go, we want to have you peg each week an ACC pick of the week for us, an ACC game that you feel real good betting. Uh, we're trying to get away from UVA and Tech. We talked about those games. So anywhere else on the board that, that you feel pretty confident this week? Yeah, I think you know the Clemson Notre Dame game. You've got you've got Clemson going going to uh, you know South Bend. It's with three three and a half, I think, depending on the book you look at. I like Clemson here. Um, you know, even with with the quote unquote quarterback controversy, I think it's still DJU's team. They're going to ride with him. If they need to bring in the freshman, they will. Um, Notre Dame looked good against Syracuse. They go up there and, and, and win. Um, but I, I just think Clemson, even on the road, this team is playing for a lot. They know what's in front of them, especially with the ACC. You know, with North Carolina State kind of falling off. Um, you know, North Carolina might be the only other team that could that can run with them at this point. I think they know what's at stake. Dabo's been there before. Uh, I, I like the I like the Clemson Tigers here to cover um, and, and win in South Bend. 
No, there you go. Thanks for the insight, Mike. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. All right. Well, David, how about nationally? Big picture. We're going to get the first college football playoff, the initial rankings here. Uh, I think people have a pretty good idea for most of the year who the the top three uh, have been. What are you predicting in terms of what we'll see for the top four here? Who's in the college football playoff if the season started on Halloween? Well, Mike, uh, I voted in the the football writers top 16 poll, which is a lot easier than the 25 you do for AP because I can imagine there'd be like a dozens of teams that you could consider from 17 to 25 and probably none dessert. You get to about 15 or 16 and you're done with really good teams. Right. So for, for one through four this week, I had Georgia, Ohio state, Tennessee, Michigan. So you have Clemson on the outside looking in. Now I do. I have Clemson five. I had basically, I had Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio state, Michigan, Clemson five. Okay. Uh, now the good news, if you're Clemson, is my number three Ohio State and my number four Michigan. They got to play each other. Yep. Georgia Tennessee one and my one and two. They play each other this week. This week. So yep. certainly Clemson, barring a mess up on their own part, has an easy path into the top three or four. Uh, David, is that how you see it, or would a, a Tennessee loss to Georgia or a Georgia loss to Tennessee? Might they still be ahead of Clemson? Would Ohio State or Michigan, with a loss to the other, remain ahead of Clemson? Temporarily, Mike, perhaps. But the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, since it started in 2014, has been clear. And its mandate from the commissioners and presidents who started this has been clear. Conference championships matter. So I have to believe, especially the way the back, you know, after having already defeated NC State and Wake, yeah, NC State and Wake Forest and Syracuse, Clemson gets Notre Dame this week, which helps. It would really help Clemson if Carolina continues to play well and was, say, 11-1 and going into the ACC championship game. But if Clemson is 13-0 and and champion of the ACC, I have a hard time envisioning a one-loss Tennessee or Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan being chosen for the college football playoff ahead of them. A a one-loss team that didn't win its division, let alone its conference title. Well, David, one of the interesting things about the race in the ACC, the competition in the ACC, is what we expected to get versus what we've got to this point. And and what I mean by that is so many teams, I think every team in in the Atlantic, many of the teams in the coastal were bringing back returning quarterbacks, returning stars at quarterback. I mean, guys that we really thought uh, could play. Think about Devin Leary at NC State and Phil Dracovic at Boston College. Uh, Really, Sam Howell at North Carolina was the only major departure that you were wondering you know, what was going to happen at that position. And as you discussed earlier, Drake May has answered that question, but <laughs> it, it hasn't played out that way. Sam Hartman at Wake uh, this week aside has been very good. Uh, I think Jordan Travis at Florida State has been very good, but overall it has not been the, the year of the quarterback that I think many of us expected. You mean you didn't envision having Drake May and Riley Leonard as two of your all ACC quarterbacks? Yeah, in, I, in, 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when we did the preseason ballot, it was you had Hartman, you had Leary, you had Armstrong. Uh, a lot of people still believing in in DJU, and uh, yeah. it was hard to pick three. Uh, it was hard to pick who's going to be number one. There were so many good choices. Um, you know, a guy like Phil Dracovic, you hardly even mentioned. A guy like Keaton Slovis, with all his ability coming over to Pittsburgh and taking over, he's on the outside looking in because of how many returners, how many guys were back, and. It, it, much like Brennan Armstrong at Virginia, it just has not gone smoothly in a number of places. And it, it is in part, Mike, because of coaching transitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, Armstrong is working with a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator. Same with Tyler Van Dyke at, at Miami. And so, so there's two of them. Devin Leary, same staff. He wasn't having as good a year as many of us anticipated, even before his season-ending peck injury. But, you know, Djokovic, new offensive coordinator. Now he's hurt. Don't know the extent there. At least I haven't seen it. BC's having a mess of a time. They have many of the same issues that Virginia has in terms of O-line and, and, and trying to protect their quarterback. So it's just, it's been a perfect storm in a bad way for the veteran ACC quarterbacks. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the injuries, which are now piling up and Van Dyke's missed time. Malik Cunningham uh, has missed time. Leary done for the year. Hartman remember had the health issue at the beginning of the year, had to have the surgery. So there's certainly been a lot going wrong, but um, again, you just expected these are veteran guys. And, and you know, we've seen a little bit of it uh, with Travis at Florida State, with Garrett Schrader at Syracuse, even though he has new coaches, that experience kind of mm-hmm. coming through and, and, and being a better player. But it's it's been the big stars. And, and certainly here we pay so much attention to Armstrong, who just have not had the encore performances after great years a year ago. And it's derailed offenses throughout the ACC. Scoring is down in the ACC. Uh, and it's derailed entire teams. And, uh, you know, I thought Jerkovic with Zay Flowers at Boston College, they had the firepower to overcome a questionable offensive line. Same with Armstrong with all his receivers. And just hasn't been the case. It really hasn't. And, you know, you mentioned Hartman and, and last week. And Mike, he was having a great season. And I mean great until after halftime at, at Louisville the other day. It, it was one of the most bizarre games you could ever, ever watch. Wake Forest, through the first seven and a half games of the season, had committed five turnovers. In the second half against Louisville, Mike, they committed eight, six in the third quarter. I mean, most teams don't get six possessions in a quarter. How do you turn it over six times? That's, that is an amazing point, right? Just the, the be able to have the ball that many times yes. and, how, and how quickly you have to give it back, right? Because if you run four or five plays, you're probably not going to have that. So you've got to get the ball and give it up. As And I know there was at least one, right? Pick six in there. Yeah. Uh, which which certainly helps helps in quotation marks, um, 
but no, it, it has been, it's been shocking um, and it's been disappointing because there was a lot of hype and I thought that was going to be one of the fun things about this year was watching these quarterbacks go head to head and and maybe we should give a little more credit to some of the defenses and, and, and things like that and, and certainly maybe we uh, took for granted that there'd be a more seamless adjustment to some of these new coaching staffs, but whatever it is, whatever the reasons, the injuries, the coaching, the defenses, these quarterbacks are, are just simply not delivering and um, it's been very stark because of what we expected yeah well and we were spoiled right oh no doubt because these cats were so good so very good a year ago yeah and you don't want to discount because what drake may has done has been outstanding i mean so if you're a fan of great quarterback play you're still getting it from may you're still getting it from hartman i think you're getting it at florida state Uh, you know he's the one that that maybe is a little in between cunningham when he's been healthy I think has been pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his problem has been dealing with injuries, but um, so there is some great quarterback play out there. We should, we should point that out and be, be fair there, but not on the magnitude, not the widespread that I think we were all, all expecting. Now, if, if everyone was performing to expectations and then you add a, a, a Drake may or a Riley Leonard t- to the mix. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I should give Riley Leonard a, a shout there too. He's been uh, just a revelation there at, at Duke. So, David, then you know we mentioned the idea of you know the preseason ballot and who's going to be your. We're getting closer and closer to putting together. We're not there yet. A postseason ballot. I assume you've got Drake May at, at number one right now in your mind at quarterback. I have Drake May number one in my mind for ACC Player of Player the Year. Of the year. Yeah. I have May then Hartman. Uh, how does your quarterback order looking right now? Yeah, it would be May and Hartman, and then you know we, we've mentioned all the the candidates for for third team. You've got Leonard at Duke and Cunningham at Louisville and Travis at, at Florida State. How many did how many yards did Travis throw for Saturday? Three hundred plus against yeah. Georgia Tech. He was in the four hundred range, wasn't he? I, th- I think he just came under that, but yeah, okay. another, another huge, and it was, I believe, a career high for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's third in the league in passing. He's throwing for almost 260 yards a game. Yeah. Um, he's throwing 14 touchdown passes, and David, maybe most importantly, and, and the same with Drake May, he's only thrown three interceptions. Right. Right. May's only thrown three interceptions and 275 throws. So, um, you know, these guys are, are protecting the ball and, uh, and all it's funny, you know, you look at the leaderboard and it's kind of like, if you flip it, it, it's the way you expect. <laughs> you got, you got Devin Leary down there. You got Jerkovic down there. You got Armstrong down there. You got DJ down there. Uh, the bottom of the leaderboard with the exception of Hartman being up near the top looks a lot like the way the top we thought was going to look. And, and Saturday against Pitt, Drake May was Carolina's leading rusher mm-hmm. as as well. I think there was a one of the the emails we got for uh, ACC Player of the Week nominees said that Drake May accounted for ninety five percent of the Tar Heels' mm-hmm. total yards on Saturday, either with his arms, either with his arm or his legs. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and pretty impressive too that they're willing to, to put that much on him, uh, which they've done. And pretty impressive how good they've been this year, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, "Hey, we put a ton on a rookie quarterback." Okay, well, did you go two and ten? Because <laughs> yeah. that happens when you put a ton on a rookie quarterback. So uh, they've put a ton on on Drake May, and again, in in a year of what has been disappointing quarterback play, uh, he has been an absolute star. 
He's been fun to watch, fun to talk about. We hope it was fun for all of you to listen today. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.